Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is the first episode of Smart Football Month, a whole month's worth of content devoted to getting you smarter. Jimmy GQ officially has 20 to 1 odds to win the MVP. And my question is, what's wrong with Vegas? Those are way, way too good for Jimmy GQ. And finally, if you're Mexican or a Mexican soccer enthusiast, buy a South Korean a beer. Or maybe go find the Korean ambassador, make him drink tequila out of a bottle, and then chant one of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my life while you party your balls off. Dude, that video was so incredible. Um, I'll, I'll try to go find it again and retweet it if people haven't seen it. But um, it, it's just like, it's the best. It's amazing. This is why I love the World Cup, because the World Cup does this to people. It makes them go into a tizzy, into a frenzy. And, and honestly, the best chant ever. It's Coreanos, hermanos, ya eres mexicano. Which means Koreans, brothers, you are Mexican. <laughs> and it's great. It's perfect. It's exactly what the World Cup should do. Bring people together through alcohol and football. Um, I've actually been watching a significant amount of World Cup. I know. It's you, kind of surprising. We spent a whole day watching World Cup. We That's did the spend only a whole thing day. happening right now. Yeah, we spent a whole day watching the World Cup. My, my number of David uh, text messages pre-10 a.m. has gone up about, like, I don't know, 17%. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the only thing on TV worth watching, so you just like throw it up there, like as I'm doing work, and you get to see like some random cool shit. I love the World Cup. I, I do. Uh, you've got it. Sweden, who's making some noise. They were my 538 spirit animal for that mid-level team, which is great. Your mid-level team, uh, I think, is uh, Belgium. Uh, no, well, Belgium's the oh, the, that's a superstar. The, high, the high-end team there, yeah. So did, took the 538 quiz because as we covered the last episode have not paid attention to anything leading up to the World Cup. So had no teams, had no rooting interest. Um, and then so took the 538 quiz. Belgium was like the powerhouse team. And I think Iceland was like the mid-level. Oh, team. that's right. Yeah, it was Iceland. Yeah. My mid-level team is Sweden. My powerhouse is Spain. I don't need 538 to tell me my. Here's my here's my biggest takeaway, though, from the entire World Cup. Germany should have had sex. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> If you're not familiar with the Germany-Mexico controversy, apparently Mexico had like sex orgies to warm up for the World Cup, and Germany had a strict, uh, an austere, if you will, no sex policy, you know, in preparation for the World Cup. Apparently, one they've had in place for years, as as Twitter as, has as, told uh, you. As any Germans that follow you on Twitter will be correct, uh, very quick to mention. Yeah. So apparently, Germans no sex, Mexico sex. Mexico is to the round of sixteen. Germany is going home maybe to hopefully now have sex. So let's get to episode one of Smart Football Month. This is probably my favorite month of the Better Rivals content calendar because we get to spend four, sometimes five episodes digging into topics, usually scheme-related, that we really enjoy, that we really think are interesting, and that we think have something to you know that, that will bear some fruit in the upcoming season. Now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we've traditionally called this month Scheme Month. And we switched it this year. We switched it to Smart Football Month. We did that because we found that, you know, trying to kind of focus just strictly on scheme things would be really, really difficult. And the, some of the scheme things that we've talked about in the past didn't always translate super well to radio. So we're going to try to broaden our horizons a little bit and not just talk about scheme or plays or schematics, but talk about just 
things to make the game smarter for you as you watch it overall. It's kind of the the mantra behind the Better Rivals podcast to begin with, right? Making you a, a better rival in all your football endeavors. But but this, so we're just kind of expanding our scope, making it Smart Football Month. And it's a bit of a nod to Chris Brown as well, who's someone that we look up to in the biz. Yeah, it was, it was uh, one, tough to come up with a different name for starters. That almost screwed the whole thing. And we're just like, ah, screw it. Let's go back to Scheme Month. No. I, I think you touched on the big one, which is, is yeah, it's tough to cover some of this stuff uh, via audio, right? It, it's really um, something that is better covered with photos or moving videos, you know, stuff where you can have that kind of visual frame of reference. Harry Potter see, pictures, as I like to call them. Um, what, what's going on there. And then, yeah, I think there there's more to, uh, you know, watching the game and consuming the game and even just being successful than just scheme, right? Um, so we want to be able to to touch on a number of different other topics. And also the kind of the driving force behind this in previous years has been the consistent coaching changes. And it was always like, OK, what's what's new with this coaching staff that we're going to bring in? And we're hoping to kind of stick with this coaching staff for a little bit. So, uh, again, it's going to become, you know, we're, we're going to become more and more familiar with what they're doing. And, and it's going to be we don't want to just sit and rehash the same stuff over and over again. So this, again, yeah, gives us. Uh, the opportunity to touch on some different things. We're tired of covering the outside zone for the third year in a row. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, all I mean, I'm saying. If you want that info, it is there. It's you there. Go find it's it. on the internet. So let's get to the rundown. Top stories in this oh-so-dead time of NFL news. But there actually is some substantive news. Lakin Tomlinson has signed a three-year extension. That's three years tacked on to his current year. So we've got him for the next four years. Seems to solidify his position at the starting left guard position. And, and really, all things considered, I, I like I saw the number originally, and I was like eighteen mil for like a three year extension. I was like that that seems a little high. Hold on, let's wait for the details. I've I've danced this dance before. And I'm even surprised that you thought the eighteen mil was a little high. I was like, ah, oh, that's. It whatever. tells you what I think of Lake and Tomlinson is what that tells you. <laughs> and so I, I, I looked, I looked up his numbers though, because finally we got some more contract details out from yeah. from over the cap and from Jason Hurley, who did a pretty good breakdown on Niners Nation. And and honestly, again, in 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 Marate we trust. It's not that big of a deal. Ultimately, it comes down to two years where we're functionally committed to Lake and Tomlinson, none of which his salary breaks like three and a half million dollars, and it's really only a one year extension. So. All in all, it's great. You're not tied to the player for a long time. If he ends up producing at the level that he did at the end of last year, which I think was Jimmy-inspired, that's great. If he doesn't, NBD, you can still draft a replacement or hope that someone like a Mike Pearson ends up taking his spot on the roster, rendering him useless. Right. I certainly don't think that the contract is anything to uh, be even remotely concerned about. I think really the the takeaway from this is that yeah uh, like you said at the top that if for this season especially he is going in as the team's starting left guard and I, I think it 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 gives you some indication that the team feels like he has been able to clean up some of the technique issues and and some of the things that have plagued him you know in in his time in the league prior to what the last five games of last season you know that where he's really struggled um and, and so there's got to be some belief there that he's like clean some of those things up and, and that they believe that that improvement that he showed um, down the stretch last season is something that they think will stick around. Yeah, he was based on pro football Focus's grading. He was in the final five games of the year, of course, with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the eighth graded guard uh, in the NFL. And, and when you look at his grade before Jimmy Garoppolo, he was down like into the twenties or, or even below that. So there's definitely a night and day difference there. And, and I think that, if that can continue with Jimmy Garoppolo, that's great. But if it doesn't, for whatever reason, we're not tied to it, NBD. 
Yeah. All right, so let's get to the big kind of concept or big thing we're going to cover in this episode. And that's something that I think is, is super interesting as a trend in the NFL, just by and large, and something that I thought would be interesting to dig into as to whether or not Kyle Shanahan does this and gains some efficiency out of it. And that's passing out of run personnel, or specifically Kyle Shanahan's use of run personnel in general, because that's one of the things that Kyle Shanahan is is lauded for. It's you know, when you talk about the aspects of his offense, you think about, well, it's his run personnel groupings. Everything's based on the outside zone. And when you think of the personnel usage that Shanahan uses, he does use kind of, you know, more more run personnel than you would think is average for the NFL. In the NFL, you, you're, 11 personnel reign supreme at this point. Three wide receivers is basically your base offense, which is why nickel has now become your base defense. But, you know, with all of the things that come with Kyle Shanahan, we thought to ourselves, well, let's look into it. Let's figure out if... It is indeed true that Kyle Shanahan uses more run personnel and then what he's able to do with it from a passing game perspective, because that, of course, as we know, is what is the most valuable thing in the NFL when you're talking about scoring points. It's passing the football. So I think first thing, right, we want to go ahead and define what we mean by run personnel in in this case. And and I think really the easiest way to kind of to group that uh, is to look at, at formations or excuse me, personnel groupings where there are two or fewer wide receivers on the field. So that means of your other three potential skill positions, you're going to be looking at either running backs, tight ends, maybe an extra offensive lineman, right? So that's why you can get into to different combinations there. But if you have only two receivers or less on the field, that's a run-heavy group, and that's going to, in, in most instances, dictate that the defense match that with run personnel on their side, right? Playing their base defense, whether that's 4-3, 3-4, getting those extra linebackers on the field. So that's really what we're focused on. We don't want to see, um, you know, what they're doing when when the defense has their nickel package and has five or more defensive backs on the field. What are they doing to take advantage of defenses in those run personnel groups? And so I think, again, like you mentioned, first question is, okay, is this actually true, right? This is where we want to start. Is Does he actually do that more often um, and it was really interesting. It, it is something that they do a good amount. So if you look at just um, 2007 in general, right? In your, in your time machine? Yeah. So you look, oh, wow. 2000, 2017, man, yeah. <laughs> years are hard. Uh, we're, we're a lot of numbers. I'm thinking that's, about all the numbers that aren't the, the year right now. So that's what I'm here for, David. I'm here to there jump on every little minute mistake that you might make. And it's just, just a, it's just 10 years. It's yeah, fine. NBD. It, if this was 2007. This would all be very normal. Yeah. Um, so in, in last season, the 49ers were in run personnel, uh, over half the time, 52% of the time, which was the fifth highest, but there was an interesting split. Uh, and, and that that number actually increased pretty significantly when Jimmy Garoppolo took over. So in the pre-Jimmy weeks, uh, it was at 46%, which was still nine, still a good amount, right? But it's not like pace in the league by any stretch. Uh, and then that jumped nearly 20%, all the way up to 65% um, when Jimmy was uh, a quarterback there, which was the top during that stretch. So I think that was the the kind of interesting thing is that, yes, they are in it more than you know the majority of the league, but that that increase when Jimmy took over, I think, was particularly notable. Yeah, the, the NFL average hovers around just shy of thirty nine percent when you're looking at run personnel across the league. So uh, at forty six percent, the Niners are still pretty high. At sixty four point nine percent, basically sixty five percent, that's a lot. I mean, that's that's basically you know there's a reason there's first in the league, right? Nearly two thirds of your plays. Yeah. Now now the question, okay, so you think to yourself, okay, well maybe they were in run personnel. 
because of an injury to, I don't know, the team's best wide receiver or what was presumed the best wide receiver in Pierre Garçon. So, David, what, what were the splits like with and without Pierre Garçon? Because I could see that that would be a reason for the team to end up and run personnel more often, less so the Jimmy thing. Definitely. That was my my initial reaction to kind of, uh, I forget where, somebody on Twitter, I think, mentioned something about uh, them using it more with Jimmy. And I was like, well, I mean, Garçon was out then. Like, yeah, they had fewer receivers, you know, dealing with injuries. In the weeks, so Garçon was there as a reminder through the first eight weeks of the season. Um, Jimmy took over in week 13. So in that stretch, weeks 9 to 12 in between there, where there's no Jimmy, no Pierre Garçon, there was basically zero difference in their usage of run personnel. So again, pre-Garçon, uh, uh, pre or w- excuse me, with Garçon in the lineup, 45.8% um, in that four-week stretch there without either of those players, 47%. So um, no sort of meaningful difference there. It really wasn't until Jimmy took over in week 13 that we saw that spike. So overall, the, the takeaway is that the Niners do indeed spend more time in run personnel than most teams. Whether that be, you know, without Jimmy, it was still pretty high. But for whatever reason, when Jimmy took the reins, there was a noticeable increase in run personnel usage late in the season. So the question then becomes, why the why the uptake with Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it something about Jimmy? Is it something about his style of play? Is it something about the offense? I don't know. All questions that we're going to try and answer here as we go through. So I think let's take let's take an aside first before we get to Jimmy Garoppolo and let's talk about the philosophy behind using run personnel so often because there are a couple of key advantages. So I think the the main thing that we're looking for there is creating mismatches in the passing game. Again, when you're in these personnel groupings, what you're trying to do is get the defense to match with their base personnel and get those extra linebackers on the field. So if you feel like you have the skill position players at running back and at tight end that are better athletes, that are better in space, better in the passing game than those linebackers that are on the field, then that gives you an, an advantage, you know, in creating some of those matchups. So I think that's the big thing that you're really looking for is, hey, we would rather have the third linebacker on the field rather than the fifth corner, right? Or the third safety or whoever it may be that the teams are bringing in within their sub packages. We want to get that run player, you know, the guy that's only usually in there when we're looking to run the ball down their throat and and really is a liability in pass coverage. We want to find that guy and isolate him with one of our backs or tight ends that we know he's not going to be able to keep up with. You know, and, and I think in the context specifically of Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is just a working theory I had that's, that's supported with maybe a data point. It, it's just a hunch, and I have no idea if this is true or real. But I think that you, you see that uptick, and maybe Shanahan's thinking about this uptick because he knows that he needs to still present the threat of the run with Jimmy Garoppolo. But Jimmy Garoppolo came out of a bit more wide-open system from the New England Patriots system, a system that prefers more empty formations. And Kyle Shanahan knows he can't just trot out a bunch of empty formations because it's going to, again, tip your hand. You, you need a bit more versatility. So now all of a sudden you think to yourself, okay, uh, well, I can still pose the threat of the run and then motion into empty and I get a little bit of the best of both worlds. I still get to you know, kind of fake the run, so to speak, through my personnel. But then I get to move into empty personnel because I know that's what Jimmy Garoppolo prefers. And, and I know that that's kind of you know, that's going to give me close to the best of both worlds while I get Jimmy Garoppolo up to speed in the offense. So I think there's a clear advantage there. And even then, though, there's still it's not like it's a, a perfect philosophy, right? Throwing a bunch of run personnel out there and saying, well, just pass out a run personnel. It's not always perfect. So, David, what are the disadvantages to using run personnel so often when you're in a passing league? So, I mean, the thing is, is 
teams, regardless of who you are in run personnel, still mostly run the ball. And that's your disadvantage, right? Running the ball from run personnel groupings against stack boxes is probably the least efficient thing that you can do as an offense. Um, And so that kind of hurts your, it, it really in a lot of ways can negate the, um, the extra efficiency that you might be able to gain in the passing game, right. By kind of isolating that crappy linebacker that's on the field. Now, um, if you're still running the ball more often than not and getting fewer yards per carry in those situations, you know, overall as an offense, it kind of can come out as a wash at best. Right. So I think that's the big, big disadvantage is that if you're in run personnel, most teams are still looking to run, right. We haven't, uh, gotten to a point where teams are super comfortable just, passing you know the wide majority of the time and and even though that's something that's been proven to be more efficient so i think that's really the big thing there uh, is and and of of course if you don't have the personnel right i think that's the other thing if you don't have the backs uh, or the tight ends to be able to take advantage then you don't get that extra boost in the passing game either so overall if you're looking for advantages you're looking for finding efficiencies in the passing game because you are able to get defenders out in in the game that don't traditionally do well against the pass but then again, when you're in run personnel, chances are you're, you're more likely to run. And, and so that's just generally not one of the more efficient plays in football nowadays. And so on balance, you think to yourself, well, does, does it work? Like what happens in practice when you are running and passing out of uh, run package personnel? Is it, a more, is it more effective in terms of per play? And I think by and large, league-wide, what you find with the Niners is that, yeah, they were a little better out of run personnel, especially when throwing, but it wasn't anything that was outsized when compared to the rest of the NFL. Definitely. And so I think that that's a good place to start, right, is in terms of looking at the the um, uh, how teams were able to take advantage of these situations, where they were more efficient, whether that was in run personnel, pass personnel, um, starting with some of those league-wide trends just as a, a kind of frame of reference to use throughout this. So in general, teams across the league are more uh, more efficient overall when they're in passing personnel than they are in run personnel. Gain about a half yard per play. Teams tend to throw the ball further downfield, though, when they're in run personnel. So you have a 7.9, nearly 8-yard average depth of target uh, in run personnel, but that drops nearly a full yard to 7 uh, when you're in pass personnel. And you think makes sense because teams are using a lot of play action, you know, maybe taking some shots down the field off those play action passes. And so looking to push the ball downfield a little bit more. Teams, though, again, throw the ball less when they're in run personnel. Only 42% is league average. Uh, so, again, you're still running the ball the majority of time when you're in run personnel. Uh, and in pass personnel, it's the complete opposite. It's mostly pass, 71% pass. Um, and then it's you get this kind of opposite effect where teams are more efficient throwing the ball from run personnel, but they're more efficient running the ball from pass personnel, right? Uh, and we'll kind of, you know, touch on what, one more time for those of us who are reading, like thinking about like how much we could have Chuck Chuck as like a brain <laughs> teaser. So when you're in run personnel league wide, teams are more effective, more efficient throwing the ball. So better to throw the ball from run personnel league wide, but they're more efficient running the ball from passing personnel sets. So you spread them out, run the ball. That tends to work out better than just, you know, trying to to slam the ball between the tackles in a, in a crowded box there. So that's kind of how things break down league wide. And then you look at the 49ers specifically, and they basically fall in line with all of those trends. They really the only exception with them last season um, when Garoppolo was uh, was quarterback uh, is that they actually did throw the ball further downfield from their passing personnel set. So they pushed the ball a little bit more down the field uh, in those situations. But otherwise, 
they fell right in line with all of those league-wide trends. Yeah, so overall, when you think about what what Shanahan was able to do with his with passing out of run personnel, is he was more efficient when he threw the ball out of run personnel. But that wasn't an outsized difference from the rest of the league. By and large, the league is more efficient throwing out of run personnel. And the Jimmy Garoppolo-led 49ers were able to also benefit from those efficiencies as well. When you think of the, the 49ers offense with Jimmy Garoppolo, overall, their offensive efficiency was ridiculous. Across all personnel, their yards per pass was first in the league at over eight yards uh, per play, which is great. Out of run personnel, that climbs a little higher to 8.7. So they were a bit more efficient, but it still dropped them to fourth in the league. So overall, they, they still did much better, or they still did slightly better when they threw out of run personnel, but sort of the rest of the league. So it wasn't like like Shanahan was singularly tapping into this efficiency. I think the NFL as a whole is tapping into the efficiency that is throwing out of run personnel. And and it's something that, I mean, shoot, the two tight end sets in New England, right, where you've got uh, Hernandez and Gronk. That's effectively run personnel. But now all of a sudden you've got Brady throwing it all over the place. And and you see you gain some efficiency because linebackers just can't cover those those tight ends. Uh, and so those are the types of efficiencies I think that you see league wide. And Shanahan and Garoppolo were tapping into that. And I think the the other, you know, kind of final point that I have is, is like why some of those efficiencies are there is we do know that the more you do something, the less efficient you're going to become. Right. So uh, teams as a, you know, looking at yards per attempt, throwing the ball, that's naturally going to be a little bit lower in passing personnel groups because they're throwing the ball way more. Again, they're throwing the ball. 71% of the time when they're in pass personnel, but only doing so 42% of the time in run personnel. So uh, you're kind of, it, it's that trade, right? Where Where is the, the proper balance to be able to maximize that efficiency where you're not doing it too much that you have these kind of diminishing returns, um, but still trying to take advantage and create some opportunities for your offense. Do you think this is the the true value of the running game in the NFL, right? Not as an actual gainer of yards, not as an actual thing that is going to is going to actually make you an efficient offense, but as the thing you have to do to remain efficient in the passing game. I think there is a I, I definitely think there's a line there, right? I, I don't think that uh, it makes sense to throw the ball 100 percent of the time and, and to never hand the ball off. But I think the the NFL hasn't reached the balance that they probably need to get to. So I think, you know, lead league wide last season, 60 percent pass. I would say like that that number, um, you know, just off the top of my head, like feel it feels like probably closer to like the 70, 75 percent range where you're you're. Even even uh, in the like the lower right, so even your le- less efficient passing games are more efficient than your most efficient run games. So you still need to le- skew more heavily toward the pass. And the NFL, I don't think, has reached that kind of optimal point yet. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something less than a hundred percent. Yeah, interesting because I know that we we often get the the kind of clapback that if all of a sudden we just stopped running the ball you know, then your offense wouldn't be efficient and you couldn't use play action and stuff. And so it's an interesting thought. I think to me, I do think that that's where that's what the run game will eventually be relegated to. Right. Is just this idea of it's it's there to check the constant overprotection of the pass. And eventually you will see a pendulum swing. And and for a while, we thought Jim Harbaugh was going to be this pendulum swing, right, where you have a hyper efficient run offense and the pass offense was just 
kind of there to chug things along, um, which I think was a bit of a misnomer because he still had a very efficient passing offense in, in, in his time in San Francisco, yeah. even if it wasn't massively like yardage gaining offense. Yeah, it wasn't huge volume, but they were very yeah, efficient. They were an efficient passing offense. And so, um, you know, there is still definitely a role in, in the running game in the NFL. It's just that it's it's over time diminishing to a much smaller part of the game. That doesn't mean that it's not an important part of the game. Definitely. I think um, not to go too far uh, kind of, you know, down this rabbit hole. Um, I think ultimately like where it's best is is more we've talked in the past about constraint plays. Right. Um, and really, teams should mostly be running the ball if you're going to spread things out. Right. And, and you're in your past personnel groupings and teams are willing to go super light in the box and all of a sudden you got four or five guys in the box. Keep them honest. Those are your your times to run and pick up your five, six, seven yards there in the small chunks when the defense gives it to you just enough to keep them honest, and then you're throwing the ball most of the rest of the time. Yeah, and I, I was thinking kind of natural constraint would be somewhere in that like 70% area as well. I, yeah, I think 80-20 I think is too much. Yeah, I almost think like 75-25 is too much, but I think somewhere like 70-30 is probably yeah. right. Um, and, and that's, I mean, hey, we're paying running backs about that, so <laughs> might as well. Might as well. So I think if, if you think of kind of larger trend in the NFL, what you're seeing is that the, the Niners are in run personnel way more often than the NFL as a whole. And specifically with Jimmy Garoppolo, they were very much run personnel focused. Now they were more efficient when they were run when they were passing out of run personnel, but that wasn't necessarily outside uh, of what the league kind of, you know, kind of, kind of did. Now, when you drill down one level further though, when you look at what Shanahan was able to do, with his specific tactics when he would pass out of run personnel, things start to get a bit more interesting. We're going to focus on what Shanahan did in the passing game out of run personnel because, quite frankly, we just think that's just the more interesting thing to look at. When you run out of run personnel, that's the expected event. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they averaged like less than three and a half yards per carry when they did that. So yeah, it, and, and that was a, it like wasn't not, effective. It yeah. wasn't a terribly it wasn't a terrible thing to to look at. But you, things get exciting when you start looking at what they did in the passing game out of their run personnel, especially when you start looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, and especially when you put this in the context of I don't know one specific game that's kind of been all a flutter <laughs> over the twitters, and that's the Jalen Ramsey Jacksonville game. So we're going to get to the Jacksonville game specifically, and we're going to get to this idea of like scheme versus quarterback and whether or not we agree with Jalen Ramsey to begin with but let's first talk about what Shanahan employs as his tactics when he is running out of or I'm sorry when he's passing out of run person <laughs> that's way more difficult to say repeatedly it is than, it yeah. really is so let, let's see what tactics Shanahan uses when he is passing out of his run personnel so I think the very first thing to note um that is is really pretty impressive is that he keeps his entire playbook open, right? It's not a small package of plays that, that's something that only comes out when they're in run personnel, um, you know, just like a handful of, of, of plays. And this is what we're going to do when we get into these packages. It's not that at all. So bear in mind that we're not going to, by any stretch, cover everything that he does out of this. Because again, the whole playbook's open. All the formations, all the motions and shifts that he wants to do, um, all the passing concepts that you would see, uh, you know, when they're in passing personnel, like all of that stuff filters over. Uh, and it's really, again, kind of like we alluded to before, it's, it's the personnel that allows you to do that and having some flexible pieces on offense. So I think narrowing down into a couple that stood out more than the rest, right? How does he actually go about attacking defenses when he gets in these run personnel groupings? And I think one of the first things that jumps out is the intermediate level of the field. 
and the ability to kind of create extra space there with the use of play action. So again, teams, you're you're expecting to run a little bit more there. You want to take advantage of those linebackers, get them up closer to the line of scrimmage, and really open that intermediate area of the field because that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's an area where you can you can have a lot of space. He has a lot of different passing concepts that will attack that area of the field, and it's just tough for a defense to be able to combat that because they have to be honest to their keys in the run game. If you're selling the run game well, they're going to have to respond. It doesn't matter if you're actually good. Again, we mentioned they're averaging three and a half yards per carry running out of these personnel groupings. They're not running down anybody's throat. That's not why play action is effective. Play action is effective because defenders have keys to read, and when you give them run keys, they are going to respond with run actions on, on defense. And so taking advantage of those actions and hitting wide open receivers in the intermediate is one of the things that he's best at. One of the concepts that you're probably familiar with is the dagger concept and that, you know, that's going to be a deep in breaking route. And it's much easier to throw that deep in breaking route when you give yourself a little bit of space because your play action has pulled those linebackers up. So it opens up that intermediate level with play action. But in addition to attacking you with kind of manipulating your keys and making you take false steps, you can also create advantageous individual matchups by bringing out your run personnel and then having them do something different that the, the, than the defense is expecting. So, of course, the number one way to create advantageous individual matchups is with just personnel, with actually attacking specific defenders by saying, I know that my tight end is better at pass catching and route running than your linebacker, or I know that my running back is going to be better at running this Texas route than your linebacker. Notice that I'm focusing on linebackers because that's generally the extra guy. <laughs> they are not good in coverage. No, generally this speaking, is what no. we're getting at. <laughs> and, and, and by having your run personnel out on the field, you are bringing a defender that's usually not there to stop the pass onto the field and then exploiting him with a tight end who's in, extremely athletic like George Kittle with a running back like Matt Breida that's extremely athletic or with someone like Jarek McKinnon um, or even with a fullback that you know, you're paying like a mid-tier wide receiver. So you, he better act like one. So, you know, this is the kind of personnel advantage that you can create when you come out and run personnel. You get that extra linebacker out there and then you attack that dude. And I think the other way you can do it, too, and this is where I think um, Shanahan's really good with the motions and the shifts that they do pre-snap um, is so it's not only being able to isolate your running back on that linebacker, your tight end on that linebacker, right? If you suddenly if if you know through your tape study and your game planning leading up to that week that you know, you get an idea of how defenses respond to motions, right? They're going to have checks and, and they're, they're going to usually behave fairly predictably to, to certain types of adjustments from the offense. And so if you see that um, when you motion a running back out wide and you have a wide receiver in the slot, that they're still going to kick out their cornerback and, and have him go cover that running back instead. And, and that leaves you with now a wide receiver, on a linebacker or a wide receiver on a safety, right? So it's it's creating those type of matchups as well if you have an understanding of how the defense is going to respond to some of the stuff that you're doing pre-snap. So there's a lot of different ways you can go about creating some of those matchups. You get everybody involved offensively, but you do need to have those versatile pieces. And I think, you know, we're going to touch on, uh, you know, what this 2018 team is going to look like and how that can, uh, you know, potentially upgrade some of this stuff. But I think that's the the place you start is upgrading personnel really makes you know the the stuff that they could do going forward here pretty exciting now there's one concept that we'll talk about here before we get to the jacksonville game that i think really illustrates where both personnel is going to is going to help the 49ers get better in 2018 
And it's one pass that you probably still have etched in your mind, and it was against the Houston Texans. It's it's the Haas concept, and Haas is super easy to remember. We've covered it in the past on this podcast, but it, it stands for hitches on the outside and then it basically seams in the slot. Like that's that's what the acronym is. And that helps you visualize the play, right? You've got basically like, you know, two receivers to each side. And you've got hitches on the outside, and then you've got seams from the slot. And on this play specifically, you send uh, Carlos Hyde, wide receiver extraordinaire, (laughs) out through the middle of the field in addition to the two slots from the seam. So you basically attack with three verticals in addition to the Haas concept on either side. Dude's wide open. I mean, it's, it's him on a linebacker or a safety. I forget exactly which one, but he's got a step on him. And and Jimmy Garoppolo just throws it outside of Carlos Hyde's outstretched hands. You have a better receiver, you have a faster back, and all of a sudden that's six points. And it's because they're throwing out of run personnel. They've isolated a halfback on a on a coverage defender that's not good in coverage. And if you upgrade the, your receiver, your running back, effectively in this case, all of a sudden you take an incomplete pass and turn it into six points, and your offense is humming. Yeah, and I think, th- so a couple things that, that really stood out to me on that play. One, you see an adjustment, right? The Carlos Hyde route isn't normally how they would would run that concept. Again, this was something that they installed um, because it's something that the Patriots have done for a very long time, uh, something that Garoppolo was obviously comfortable with from his time there. And typically, that guy that you have in, on you know the inside most slot receiver, which is where Hyde was on this play, he gets to run a, a sort of like option route in the middle of the field. And you get him isolated, you know, you think... Wes Welker, Julian Edelman being able to run those option routes in the middle of the field and, and take advantage of these situations and get open. Um, that's how the 49ers had typically ran it before then as well. But because the linebackers, so there were actually two linebackers there that were kind of playing inside outside on hide in this because they were man coverage across the board. These two linebackers, though, one of them playing outside leverage, one of them playing inside. And, and you see Hyde kind of act like he's going to go into option mode route and both the linebackers freeze. And then it's just, you know, there's nobody in the deep middle of the field. But again, like you mentioned, Hyde not being the best receiver makes a poor adjustment, can't track the ball over his shoulder. This was probably the single best downfield throw that Jimmy Garoppolo made during the five games last year. And it gets wasted because Carlos Hyde can't track the ball over his shoulder uh, and it and it falls incomplete. So, yeah, that's an area where you look at somebody like Jarek McKinnon's uh, suddenly in that role and you're like, all right, this is six points. You know, this was uh, being able to to find a mismatch on the defense, exploit that mismatch, and then have the players uh, that can go out and, and, you know, put the ball in the end zone because of that. So you've got a uh, a team and a coach that can attack specific defenders and attack defenses in multiple ways by putting out run personnel and then throwing out of that run personnel. You've got the play action, which is going to open up intermediate levels of the defense. You can create advantageous individual matchups with your personnel by itself or with motions and shifts. And then you've, of course, got like play action passes, which are effective in and of themselves. And Kyle Shanahan is very effective at using those play action passes. So if if you, you know, we started out big and we started out with trends across the NFL and what Shanahan's done, zoomed in a little bit farther into his tactics and how he uses that and what advantages they create. Let's zoom in a little farther and get to this Jacksonville game because this is the thing that everyone's been talking about recently. Jalen Ramsey says that Jimmy Garoppolo is not a good quarterback and that scheme is what beat the Jags. And by and large, 49er fans reacted and they're like, nuh-uh, he great. We love him. And that's understandable. Understandable. We're on the Jimmy train as well. 
But what we really wanted to do, and, and we actually didn't plan to cover the Jacksonville game in this podcast. It just kind of naturally happened because of it just kept becoming one of the games we were returning to as we were watching passes out of run personnel. They were like, wow, there's actually a lot of things that happen in this Jacksonville game that kind of prove how effective this can be and how Kyle Shanahan uses it. So let's look at the first eight throws out of run personnel in the game against Jacksonville in week 15. You've got a 13-yard throw, a 12-yard throw, a 17-yard throw, a 17-yard throw, a 21-yard throw, and then, of course, the coup de grace, which was the 44-yard throw to Kyle Juszczyk. Six of the first eight throws in that Jacksonville game were out of the, uh, six of the eight first throws in that Jacksonville game from run personnel picked up at least 12 yards. That is an incredibly efficient passing offense, and it was, by and large, because of the efficiencies gained from throwing out of run personnel. Definitely. It was, um, this was like the master's class, right? If you want to go back to a game plan um, for why this sort of strategy, why going heavier run personnel and throwing the ball more out of that, uh, those type of looks uh, is effective. Like this is kind of the high mark, you know, for the 49ers last season um, and their ability to kind of take advantage of some of these things. And again, picking up 12 yards, 17 yards, and then even hitting some big plays, 21-44 there down the field, explosive plays for your offense out of these looks uh, is incredible to be able to do that with that sort of efficiency. Again, six of their first eight throws from those personnel groupings, 12 yards or more. You know, it, Teams uh, in any personnel groupings don't tend to have like a 75% clip where they're hitting 12 yards or more right in the passing game. So especially against one of the better defenses, it's not the best pass defense in the league. Yeah, they were. And, and I think, you know, it's uh, it, 49ers fans like to get, you know, maybe a little bit carried away like, oh, they shit on the Jags defense. They can't be that good. I mean, like, like you can't throw the other 15 games out the window, right? This was the best pass defense in the NFL last season. Um, and so to be able to do it against that level of competition um, and, you know, again, this goes to, to Kyle's game planning because that was the one week area of their passing. Uh, their pass defense was when you got them in their base defense, get the, that extra linebacker on the field. Uh, and, you know, they were not nearly as effective uh, with, you know, uh, defending the pass out of those situations. And that was something that Kyle obviously recognized. They went heavy with the run personnel in this game and it paid dividends for them. All right, so let's talk about some specific plays and some specific examples where Kyle Shanahan was able to, with his play call and personnel, was able to gain some serious yards against this Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Let's start with a third and two play on the opening drive. It was the third play of the game, and we're going to play you the audio clip of each play and then break down a bit about what's happened. Uh, so third and two opening drive, third play of the game. Here's the TV copy call. It brings up third down and two. 49ers, 24th in the NFL on third downs this year, but in the last three games, they're sixth. Garoppolo to Kittle for the first down. George Kittle now has a catch in every game this season. He picks up 13. So on this play, you've got two wide receivers to the right and two tight ends to the left. And so basically you've got what looks like a run-heavy formation, two tight ends to the left, and all of a sudden, the 49ers run a three-man triangle kind of concept to the tight end side that targets the safety. This is them being able to basically attack linebackers and safeties in coverage as opposed to having to deal with the corners at all because both the corners are on the other side of the field entirely. So I think the the couple things to note with this one um, are because you have that closed side, right? So the tight ends tight to the formation, no receivers outside of them. Closed formation look is what that's typically re referenced to. So what that does 
uh, to the defense is now the the coverage players on that side. So the corner, the safety that are over there, they're playing with outside leverage, right? Because they have to be able to play their contain, you know, run responsibilities and be able to fill on that outside. So they're playing outside leverage. And that really opens things up for inside breaking routes, which is what they're doing. So what you end up getting is because you have the back offset to that side as well. So you have the two tight ends. Juice is the the lone back in the backfield there. He's offset to that side. And so you really get a three-man combination where you get two guys able to hold the underneath coverage and open up, again, that intermediate space. That's really where um, Shanahan is excellent at, at finding ways to get guys open in that area. And so you get George Kittle running a deep in-breaking route against a receiver, or excuse me, against a, a safety um, that's playing with outside leverage, right? He's already at a disadvantage from the time the ball snapped because of where he has to line up based on the formation. So these are the things that you look at from a scheme standpoint that really sets that offense up for success. All right, so that's how that's how he's going to attack this defense with personnel and with his run formation. But then he's also going to attack it with the the boot and the play action. So later on on the first drive, it's first and 10, and we've got another situation where the Niners are going to be passing out of their run personnel. And you saw it. The Jaguars have not allowed an opening drive touchdown in 21 straight games. Will that change here? Use check inside the five and out of bounds at the one. So on this play, you've got the 49ers lined up in what looks like a three tight end set. You've got Selleck and Juice to the right and Paulson to the left. In this case, it looks like Juice is just another tight end. And you've got a single back in the backfield. You've got split zone action with check coming across the formation at the snap and the Niners faking a run, and it's him coming across the formation and coming on open on the other side of the formation, which gives a really, really easy throw for Jimmy Garoppolo into the flat, and check just turns around, runs upfield, it's 17 yards, and they're down to the one-yard line. Right, I mean, this is, it's, it's funny, in the past I've joked about, like, the boot action stuff being some of the simplest stuff that Shanahan does. And, and every NFL team does, you know, some kind of semblance of this, but it's, it's stuff I that believe you do in high school. I believe your exact quote was, I ran this shit in high school. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's true. <laughs> um, and the, I mean, these route combinations on these boot passes are not complex, right? But it's that run action. Again, you, you sell the run. The defense is going to respond whether you're good at running the ball or not. And that's exactly what happens on this play is you have, the guy that should be covering in the flat where Juice ends up wide open, he's sucked in. He gets he's trying to you know pursue that run play from the backside and, and make sure that there's not this wide running lane uh, on the backside of the play for him to cut back to. And then all of a sudden he's out of by the time he recognizes that actually Garoppolo has the ball and he's looking to pass, it's too late. And you know there's nobody around Juice, and that's the type of again, it's an easy throw. Uh, it, it's something that your offense can go to. Uh, if, if you have defenses that are over pursuing for that outside zone, um, and this sets them up for a touchdown, you know, one, the very next play Garoppolo sneaks it into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, but again, it's taking advantage of the run action, selling that, making the defense believe you want to run the ball and then throwing to wide open receivers. All right. So we've got an example of Shanahan using his personnel to gain an advantage using the boot play action specifically and rolling Garoppolo out in order to get some advantage as well. But now what about just straight-up play action? What can that do to a defense? Well, now we go to the second quarter, first and 10. At this point in the game, it's 16-9 to San Francisco, and you have another instance where just a hard play action and a really good sell by the offense ends up springing them for a huge play. First and 10 from the 25-yard line. Garoppolo, play fake, looking for check. He's got him wide open. check at midfield, down the sideline, and they finally trip him up inside the 35. 
So on this play, you've got Logan Paulson in the game again. And that seems to be kind of a common theme here, right? Logan Paulson was in on the boot play action play that we broke down. And on this play, he's the blocking tight end. That's the one thing that signals we're going to run because you don't want Paulson out on a route, basically. That's not his forte. And he doesn't go out on a route on this play. No, he <laughs> really doesn't. Dubs. Yeah, because he <laughs> basically, again, pulls he another split zone action play. But what happens here is you've got a, what looks like a split zone with Juszczyk leading. And instead of being a lead blocker, Juszczyk just continues right by the linebacker, runs out into the wheel, and he gets hit for 44 yards. So overall, when you look at what happened on this day, on this play from the defensive perspective, it really all came down to Telvin Smith biting real hard on the play action to the point where he still hit Brita and Brita didn't have the ball. Yeah, I mean, Puzlesny gets, uh, you know, this was obviously the, one of the big plays from this game and, and got a lot of attention. And you see the image of Puzlesny, uh, you know, desperately trying to catch up to Juice running down the sideline. Uh, and I think he took a lot of the heat for this play, but it's really not his responsibility. He's just trying to cover up for Telvin Smith attacking, you know, that that run action uh, a little too hard there. And I mean, it, we give Juice a lot of shit, look, for reasons that have nothing to do with him and the, simply the contract that he was handed. Um, but this was a, a really great play from him because he comes downhill like he's about to meet that linebacker, right, as the lead blocker in the hole, and then he just slips right by him. And Telvin Smith goes by, thinks he's making the tackle on the back for a loss, uh, run personnel defense on the field, like, Puzlesny just doesn't, he's not the athlete to be able to keep up with Juice, right? So he, it takes him quite a bit longer to track that play down, uh, has no chance of making a play on the ball. Whereas, you know, if that's another defensive back, maybe they limit that to a little bit shorter gain. Maybe the defensive back recognizing, maybe he's already playing pass, you know, a little bit more to begin with. and, And he's able to kind of get back to that pass responsibility. So again, it's taking advantage of, uh, run personnel, defensive players who are expecting run. And the final play in the Jacksonville game that we'll take a look at is one where Kyle Shanahan uses motion to exploit the defense. And this is going to be another first and 10 play, 306 in the second quarter. It is still 16 to 9 San Francisco, and the 49ers are able to dial up another play. All right, first down at the 19 at Jacksonville, pistol alignment. Garoppolo takes the snap, looking left, throws to the far side, caught by Juszczyk, run out of bounds by Puzlesny. That'll be at the 14. So they'll get five yards on that first down throw. So the 49ers are in 21 personnel. They're in an offset eye in a pistol formation. And you've got Logan Paulson again to the right. Now, Kendrick Bourne is on the left side of the formation. And he motions over to the right side of the formation where Marquise Goodwin is. But he motions and gets to the outside of Goodwin. Now, Goodwin is in the slot. The corner doesn't follow Kendrick Bourne. Which means now that the outside receiver on that side of the formation, Kendrick Bourne, is covered by the corner. Which means that Marquise Goodwin is now being covered by a linebacker. Always about, you know, necessarily the running backs and the tight ends on those backers, but finding ways to get your receivers on those type of players. And this is a great example, even on each side of the field. And, uh, you know, Goodwin starts kind of tight to the formation already, where a slot receiver would kind of be. And then you see after that, you know, like you mentioned, the, the receiver going in motion out wide past Goodwin. That takes the corner with him. And now all of a sudden Goodwin's on, uh, on a linebacker there with space to operate in the middle of the field. And, and you know, if Garoppolo... Uh, would have had time and the play would have kind of led itself that direction. He throws an accurate pass. That's probably a touchdown, right? He has the separation that he needs there. There's no other defenders that are in position to really help on that play. If it's an accurate throw, really the only thing that prevents that from being a touchdown, if he looks that direction is a misplaced ball, right? If he throws it behind him and 
Goodwin has to slow down or something like that, then you give uh, you know a defender an opportunity to make a play. But uh, an accurate throw that we know Garoppolo can make, it, it, especially at that sort of depth, um, I mean, Goodwin's walking into the end zone there. So that's the type of mismatch where you can get one of your best offensive playmakers at receiver on a coverage defender. You know, even this is Telvin Smith that we're talking about, the linebacker on Goodwin here. He's a good coverage linebacker. Um, you know, this is not good enough to cover yeah, Marcus Goodwin. It's just like it's still a mismatch um, when you get those sort of situations there. So, um, yeah, it's just another example of the ability to create opportunities for your offense. So in this one game against the Jaguars, we've seen examples of Kyle Shanahan dialing up run personnel to throw the ball and leveraging advantages with his personnel, with bootlegs, with play action passes, with motion, all to make the 49ers life a little easier. So now we get to the the kind of the, the thing everyone's been talking about so far, Jalen Ramsey. Of course, it started because Jalen Ramsey thought that that Garoppolo shouldn't be in the top 100. And he said that, you know, basically he was making the argument that it's been not a high sample size. It's been five, seven games and that the guy's got potential and that he can. He's probably going to be really good, but that this one game wasn't him carving up the Jaguars, that it was a lot on on that it was a lot on on the scheme. And I've got to say, I Jalen Ramsey's right. And and I don't know that it really matters to me that he's right, because it's still at the end of the day. All things are, are not. It's not necessarily that all things are good, but Jalen Ramsey can still be right, and we can still be excited about what Shanahan's doing with the scheme, and the fact that Garoppolo has potential, but that we're looking forward to hopefully him realizing that potential, and still be fine with Jalen Ramsey being right because he is right. Yeah, I think a lot of people tried to make more of these comments than what was really there. Is is really where it starts, and you know. Saying that he's got a small sample size is something we talk about constantly. You know, this he does is like have a small sample. Nearly size. in every episode thing, you know, we talk about sample size and why that's important. Um, and, and so I think bringing that sort of thing up, and then saying also something, uh, I think this is where things really got twisted for like 49ers Twitter is uh, saying that something is like mostly scheme doesn't mean that Garoppolo made zero good plays and zero good throws. Right? That, that you, you can have a quarterback make several good throws, several very difficult throws um, that, you know, weren't benefited by scheme that are into tight coverage, you know, that, that are Garoppolo making plays. Obviously there's a couple of the plays that he improvised on the touchdown to Trent the touchdown, Taylor yeah. um, being, you know, kind of prime among them. So uh, you can have those plays and then still also have true the fact that the majority of your offensive success in that game came because Kyle Shanahan had an excellent game plan and really schemed up some opportunities for, Garoppolo to find wide open receivers. And so I think that's kind of the starting point for this. Um, you know, there's a lot is that if if a quarterback is throwing the ball to an open receiver, that that's 100 percent like the quarterback's decision and, and that he should be lauded for that thing. When I think in reality, when you look at the NFL as a whole, we have to get to the point where we, where we think that throwing that a quarterback throwing to open dudes should be the NFL accept like that should be the expectation being better than Brian Hoyer and CJ Beathard doesn't mean that it's good just because those two players couldn't accomplish something like doesn't mean that it's a difficult task it means that they're not good at their job that's right right. so when you think about what the most stable trait in quarterbacking is from season to season it's their performance with a clean pocket without any pressure Basically, what's the quarterback doing within the confines of the offense? Right, that, that's, that's base level expectation, and the really great quarterbacks knock that out of the park. They're like they're so good at that that it's ridiculous. An average NFL quarterback has basically got to hit those throws. That's average competency for a quarterback. So if if that's what that means, then all of a sudden, when you're seeing 
NFL players running wide open because of the advantages that Kyle Shanahan is able to generate by putting out his run personnel, by having players that are versatile in the passing game, and, and having Jimmy Garoppolo connect with those players. It means that Jimmy Garoppolo is committing the expected things that you would expect, a, a, a hopefully, a good quarterback to do. What he does on top of those things, he did a few of those things in this game. But he's not to the point where he is Tom Brady-esque or Aaron Rodgers-esque where he transcends that thing over and over and over again. Can he get there? I hope he does. He's on a good trajectory, <laughs> right? Um, and, and you can indeed divorce scheme from the quality of the quarterback. David, I think you, you kind of pointed out how you differentiate the two when you're talking about ball location for a quarterback. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a very and, and again, it's oversimplifying um, to you may, hopefully not too significant to of a degree, but I think this still gets you kind of closer to the mark. And I think it really comes down to looking at, uh, yeah, the the kind of the separation that the receiver has and, and what sort of space the quarterback's able to throw the ball into. Um, if you have a guy that's running free in the middle of the defense and there's nobody around him, there's a really good chance that that's something scheme related that caused that or. On the other hand, it's a like a major defensive breakdown. Either way, it's not really the quarterback doing something extra, right? All he's really doing in that play is, oh, hey, recognizing that there's a guy running wide open in the middle of the field, and I'm going to get him the ball. Um, again, expected kind of quarterback play. So if you got a lot of room to work with, that's you know going to be typically scheme related that, that caused that. Um, on the other hand, if he's throwing into tight windows and the, the the defense is in good position, right? You, you wouldn't look at that play and say, this is a bad play by the defense. Um, and he's still making this throw and making the completions, whether that's putting the, the ball, you know, away from the leverage of the defender, um, you know, fitting it in between two zone defenders that are closing quickly on that and aren't giving him a lot of space to work with, but still, uh, you know, finding a way to get in there. I think the the slant to Kendrick Bourne that everybody has brought up this week is like the example of, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo made a great throw. That's a that's a good example of that, right? I mean, it's a 12-yard throw, but it's a it's a good uh, example of a, it wasn't a bad play by the defense that led to that success, right? So it's it's trying to look at those things. How is the receivers getting open? Why why was that play successful, right? It's just trying to think about it a little bit more critically. And and I think what happens and what happened in this argument is you get different perspectives at work that I don't think are wrong, right? I don't think either one's wrong. Whereas if, if you're a 49ers fan or if even if you're in the 49ers organization, you're saying I have a, a, a head coach that is excellent at, at kind of scheming up uh, plays and, and finding ways to get my receivers open and create some easy offense for me. I have a quarterback who's excellent at throwing accurately to these open receivers and ge- keeping my offense moving. That is a a very good marriage and, and one that leads to very good offensive play, right? That's the, um, that's the David Lombardi argument. That's what he yeah. was arguing on Twitter. It was like, look, you, you can't, you've got to have both of those things to be true for an offense to really kind of shine to the, the heights that you see with really, really great offenses. On the other hand, though, if you're trying to compare Jimmy Garoppolo's play to that of his peers, right? And you're looking at, okay, where should he rank, you know, among NFL quarterbacks, which is effectively what Jalen Ramsey's commenting on, right? This is about whether he should be placed in the NFL top 100, um, how he ranks among other quarterbacks. Degree of difficulty matters. That's when these things start to come into play. You have different considerations. Uh, I just keep thinking about the, the Olympian, the Olympian, the, the snowboarding halfpipe Olympian. Have, have you heard the story? This woman who basically went to regional tournaments 
and managed to place in like the top 20 and get points towards Olympic status. I, mean, I think we talked, did we not talk about this we did. On, a, on like a mailbag episode or we something? We did, like absolutely. That. Yeah. But, but basically, long story short, she ends up accumulating all these Olympic points by strategically going to these uh, halfpipe tournaments where there were only like five entrants. And because there were only five entrants, she finished absolute dead last. But you need to be in the top 20 or something like that to get points. So she accumulated all these points. And ended up qualifying for the Olympics. And her Olympic run was like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Bunny hop. Bunny hop. Don't fall, oh, don't man, fall. And that so was good. it. And that was it. But but she's an Olympian, dude. Does that mean she is as good as people who didn't make the Olympics? Should she be included in like the, the Hall of Fame of snowboarders? No, because the degree of difficulty was not high. Right. And so <laughs> it absolutely matters when you're talking about ranking quarterbacks what their what the level of difficulty of quarterbacking that they execute is definitely and, and again um passing the 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 hoyer bethard line is not uh the the recipe for good quarterback play um you know you got to do a little bit more than that uh and i and i i think that's the you know a thing that can be tough if you don't spend a lot of time you know teams uh, or, or fans especially you know you're you're focusing, even if you watch a lot of other football, you're watching more intently with your team, right? You're, you're paying more attention. You're noticing more details. And if you're not watching with that same level of detail, all of the other games, right? And all the other quarterbacks, it can be easy to lose that frame of reference. And so what I, of course, I'm going to compare things to are the other shitty quarterbacks that I've had to suffer through watching before Jimmy Garoppolo took over. And it's like, Hey, he's obviously way better than those guys. So, uh, he's got to be amazing. And I think, if you don't have that frame of reference to like, okay, what is a good NFL throw? What is an expected NFL throw? Like what are the good quarterbacks doing with regularity? Uh, it can be easy to lose that. But again, I don't think either of those perspectives is necessarily wrong. It just depends what sort of argument, what sort of, uh, you know, perspective you want to come from there. If you're saying, Hey, what, what I'm looking at the 49ers offense and how good they can be this season. You're looking at like, yeah, I don't give a shit how de- the degree of difficulty is like, if if Garoppolo's thrown to open receivers all day, that's great. This offense is going to be great, right? Um, but it does matter when you shift that conversation a little bit and start yeah. trying to compare him to his peers. Fundamentally, you've got to think about the question you're trying to answer. And and I think Jalen Ramsey's trying to answer the question, where does Jimmy Garoppolo as an individual rank compared to his peers in the NFL? And I think you, you approach that question one way. And in that regard, I think Jalen Ramsey's 100% right. I, I think it doesn't matter to me. Because when you think of what it means functionally for the NFL, you know, how good can this offense be and how many points can they score? And that's where you do take scheme into account. And this is the thing that makes me really excited about all of the different things that Shanahan's able to do. I mean, we zoomed into one thing this week, which was his ability to both lean on run personnel and then pass out of run personnel and exploit deficiencies in the defense and really make efficient offense happen when you are arguably at a talent deficiency. And and that is that is like the definition of great head coaching. <laughs> it is to get the most out of your talent yep. and to put them in positions to succeed. And great offenses and great teams are able to capitalize on those opportunities. But you still need an offensive head coach or, or, or an offensive coordinator who's going to put you in a position to do that. Um, and so at the end of the day, I don't really care. I think it's funny. All the, all the pictures of Jalen Ramsey with salt. Oh, my God. I think those yeah. are great. Keep them Out coming. I think it's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, when especially when we look back at that Jacksonville game specifically, it was a great example of Kyle Shanahan using run personnel and passing the ball to great efficiency. And, and it is what helped the Niners win the game against Jacksonville. Definitely. And I think when we we start taking all of that right, everything that we've talked about so far and, and do start looking ahead a little bit and what that means for 2018, 
Um, I, I think it's it's really exciting to see what he can do if their skill position players this year can stay relatively healthy, right? You have a number of upgrades to just even this run personnel package uh, that, that we've been talking about this episode. I mean, obviously you get the return of Pierre Garçon, who's their best uh, wide receiver, get him back in the mix there. I think Dante Pettis is going to have value. We know that they'll rotate receivers uh, out in these sort of packages there. So he's going to get some action. I think he has some value uh, in these sort of packages and the, the passing concepts that they like to use here. I mean, you're hoping for George Kittle to to stay healthy. I mean, he was banged up through most of this stretch. And so him being in year two, not playing on a bum ankle, like that's going to help him. And he already did, you know, again, was producing at a pretty high level during those five games with Garoppolo. And then, of course, we mentioned it uh, earlier. You all of a sudden put in Jarek McKinnon in place of what was, I mean, to be honest, like probably the worst group of receiving running backs in the NFL last season. Um, you know, Hyde and Breida were the, the leaders among running backs and drops. They just didn't create any value uh, in that aspect of the game. And so you take a player like McKinnon, who uh, is incredibly explosive and athletic and has value that he can add in the passing game there and put him in those same spots, uh, and they're going to be able to do even more. So I think from a personnel standpoint, being improved there, uh, they're going to be able to do even more things and, and take advantage of defenses even more in these situations next year. So overall, I think it's it's setting up for a good 2018 in terms of what this means for the offensive efficiency. Uh, I think if you're looking to what you like to see different, I mean, not a whole hell of a lot. Can we reduce Juice, Juice's contract value a little bit? Like that's that's about it. <laughs> I mean, other than that, I think the the there will be efficiencies to be gained. I'm curious to see whether or not the percentage of, of frequency shifts. I, I don't think it will personally. I, I think that. If anything, because McKinnon will be on the field for more snaps, um, you'll you'll probably see a bit more versatility happen, and, and you'll probably see them go to more passes out of two wide receiver sets. But I don't think that that it's going to change dramatically, only because I think Shanahan understands that the more you do something, the less efficient it becomes, and and so I, I don't know that it's going to change dramatically. But at the at the end of the day, you're, they finished first in the NFL in run personnel. So do you think they're going to finish first again next year? I mean, I think the 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 way that I would the thing that I would hope for, uh, I I would say that using run personnel on, again, nearly two thirds of your snaps is too high. I think getting back down to something in the neighborhood of that 40 percent, 40, 45 percent even um, makes a lot more sense. So I would overall, I would like to see the usage less because you you get into too many runs there. Right. And that's why even though they were they were more successful throwing the ball and run personnel, their actual like yards per play overall offensively was a yard lower in run personnel than it was in pass personnel because they ran the ball so much. So I think I, I would like to see ideally, and again, whether this uh, happens or not is anyone's guess, but I would like to see the overall usage of run personnel come down a little bit and then the pass frequency in those increase a little bit. So again, we were at 44% pass. Let's get that over 50, right? Like push that over 50 get my overall usage down under 50. And I think I'm making, I'm taking better advantage of that passing efficiency without sacrificing it too much, right? I'm getting rid of uh, really mostly the bad runs. I get rid of some of those ones, uh, run the ball maybe a little bit out of, out of some spread stuff to, to open things up in the box there. Like those are the type of adjustments. But again, this is going to be a prominent part. You know, even talking about 40% of your offense is, is a very large part of your offense. So uh, it, it is going to be something they go to, but those are the two changes I would I would hope for. 
All right, well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. This is the first in our smart football series. We're going to come back over the next three weeks, the kind of dead period of the NFL, and, and bring you some things that we think are interesting, both from a football perspective and a schematic perspective. If you are looking for our merch, you can go on my Twitter page, and it's a pinned tweet. You can get the link uh, at TeePublic, but my my uh, that's not my handle. That'd be weird because then I'd be a T-shirt company. Uh, my handle's at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, that's going to be at Newman NFL. Next week, we'll be celebrating America, so there will be no episode on Wednesday. It will indeed be on Thursday. So don't uh, don't let your, your withdrawal kick in when you start itching and tweeting at me about how you're missing the <laughs> podcast on Wednesday. Uh, we'll get it to you on Thursday. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.